But you can't rematerialize yet. We're not even in space-time. This is as far as we're going, for the moment. But where are we? Well, you'll recognize it when you see it. Right, outside. Come on, out! But you must be mad. Why have you brought us here? You want your TARDIS back, don't you? We can't beat Axos. We may as well join it. Why have you returned? Quite well, simple. Because you are winning. And we have a proposition. You may have conquered this tiny speck in space, but you've yet to conquer time. Well? We are prepared to give you this power on one condition. That we join forces against the High Council of the Time Lords. How can we do this? By linking our drive systems. In this way, Axos will become a TARDIS, and the TARDIS will become a part of Axos. And you? My part is finished. All I'm interested in is the return of my TARDIS. Well, I... I will leave you to your new alliance. Hello and welcome to the Cloister Bell Podcast. If you're all about listening to two friends chat and discuss Doctor Who, then you've come to the right place. Do make sure you follow us on your podcast app or join our emailing list at cloisterbellpodcast.com or you can also follow us on social media app formerly known as Twitter at Podcast Bell. We are also supported by some lovely patrons and if you enjoy the podcast and would like to do so, then head over to Patreon and search for Cloister Bell Podcast. Where one of the benefits, the benefits are outlined on Patreon, but one of the benefits is you'll be able to get our podcasts a week in advance. So, uh, without any further ado, let's go straight on to it. I'm Liam, and I'm joined by my longest friend. We go way back to knowing each other in nursery. Scary. How are you doing, Rob? Good, thank you. Not bad at all. Excellent. Quite tired. I've had a long day at work. Uh, Or is this work? I don't know. <laughs> I'll call work my second job. Right. This is this is the main event. How are you doing? <laughs> Does this podcast feel like hard work? No, no. I'm convinced. Um, yeah, I'm very well, thank you. It's it's been um, a busy few days. I've got some good news, but before we get on to that, uh, what have you been up to, Rob, since our last podcast? Um, a bit depressed, and really, um, I watched the Jimmy Jimmy Savile dramatization. Oh, uh, what's that called? Um, Reckoning, is it? The Reckoning, yeah, yeah with Steve Coogan. Mm. And, well, I feel like over the years I've had to watch so much Jimmy Savile <laughs> stuff, so I found the whole thing not very insightful, mm. and. It just presents you with the same kind of stuff. So, leaves you kind of with a bad taste. Mm. Um, for any listeners it, who it may was, not be... It's interesting. For any listeners who may not be aware who Jimmy Savile is, how would you how would you describe him? Ooh, like he was obviously a big figure here. Um, but now he's kind of in a higher league than like any dictator or the devil or person like think of the worst person and he's like a league above that now uh yeah truly evil man yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, so for anyone who may not be aware of him, uh, Jimmy Savile was a um, sort of a celebrity in the UK for, for an awfully long time. He started off as a DJ. In fact, there's a fake reference in Doctor Who looking like Jimmy Savile in the William Hartnell story, The War Machines, where, he go, where William Hartnell's doctor goes into a, um, into a nightclub and someone goes, oh, he looks like that DJ. That DJ they're referencing is Jimmy Savile. Uh, he later became um, a TV presenter on a music show called Top of the Pops. And later on, he had a um, a series called Jim Will Fix It, which also has a Doctor Who connection in the 80s. Um, and there was always these rumours and something slight. Everyone thought there was always something slightly off about him. But I think he was really just put down as being, you know, oh, just a, a little bit eccentric and all the rest of it. Anyway, when he died... Um, it turned out there was decades and decades of abuse. And yeah, I'm not surprised, Rob, uh, watch, watching that series being utterly depressed. And it'd been covered yeah, up it for years. Yeah, it was four episodes and they're all like, I don't know, it felt like they were an hour and a half long. They probably weren't. Mm. But yeah, it's long. I mean, obviously, it's about something quite serious. Uh, I mean, do you think, would you recommend it as something to watch or... I would if you weren't that familiar with all the ins and outs of it all. Okay. Um, but you could you could get just as much information, if not more, from some of the many documentaries out there. Because hmm. uh, I yeah. haven't seen it, but I think that there's one on Netflix, isn't there? Um, yeah, there is. I watched that a few years ago. Hmm. But hmm. okay. Um, I think some people have questioned is there even a point to making this this series? Hmm. Um, it does highlight um, a small point um, of let's not let this happen again and continue the awareness. I think that's what it kind of gets at because it presents not just the dramatization of it, but um, it has some real-life interviews of, um, um, of some of the children who were abused. Um, oh, okay. And in, I don't know if they were um, dramatized, possibly, or uh, oh, yeah, a, well, sorry, actually, yes, they were. Um, oh. One, one of the boys who was on uh, Jim will fix it um, as a grown man was talking on there as well. Right. Um, okay. So that was one of the um, big aspects of it, but. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't really want to get bogged down in Jimmy Savile. No, funny enough, neither do I. But all what I'll say is because when all the yeah. all when all the stuff came out and it was atrocious uh, and it was bad enough, and then just when you thought it couldn't get worse, it was just something else and something. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I was about to make a joke like, and next week we'll do a fix with Santarans, but I think that's in bad taste. But I've just said it anyway. Yeah, you, you have. Well, actually, I mean, because that was one of the. So yeah, um, uh, it was it was one of the things when the two doctors DVD first came out. That was a special feature, and it was the whole excerpt of of that specially made episode where a, a child Doctor Who fan, um, uh. Eric Saywood wrote this script and uh, had some Torrance who set the TARDIS and Colin Baker was playing the Doctor and so on. And then the whole thing, including Jimmy Savile, appeared on the special feature. When it came to the season, um, 
22 box set. Obviously, they wanted to include it because it is a part of Doctor Who history. But at the same time, it's like, well, how do we work our way around around this? They did it really well. It's pretty much the whole episode, but the the stuff about Jimmy Savile is that has him is edited out, uh, and they actually do it. They they handle that really well. Um, anyway, uh, okay, so you've watched uh, quite a serious downbeat drama. Uh, yeah, else? I'm also. I've also been watching Loki. Oh yes, you mentioned show. that last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've only at the time of recording, I've only seen two episodes. Right. Um, but I've really enjoyed them. Oh, well, that's good. Mm-hmm. You watched out. Uh, I haven't really had uh, much time to to watch television. Obviously, uh, any time I've had it's um, to watch these stories, but. Um, I've been really busy uh, over the last few days because, and here's the good news, folks, I've bought a house. Oh, yes. Um, so this year, I've been I've been looking to to buy a house, and it's it's you know it's the usual stuff of um, you know visiting lots of places, but either you know that there's something right wasn't about the house, or if I did, it went to you know there was one where I booked a viewing in, um, but. Uh, the day that I was due to view the property, my viewing was cancelled because someone had bought the property uh, that very day. Oh. So I was like, all right, okay. Um, or it went into sealed bids, or there was a bidding war, or there was uh, one house where um, it was under one of the government's um, schemes. And that proved to be a complete and utter waste of time, but it was really exhausting. Anyway, oh. with this house, um, at the time of recording, Rob, this it got listed last week. Um, the day it was listed, I saw it, contacted the estate agent to arrange a viewing. Uh, the The current owners were on holiday, so the earliest I could have seen the property was Saturday just gone. So I saw the property Saturday morning. Liked the property, liked the location, uh, thought about it a little bit, and then rang the estate agent in and put an offer in. Uh, got contacted on Monday where there was backwards and forwards. Um, my initial offer was rejected, but they said they would be happy. If, you know, they mentioned a figure that was sort of like a little bit of discussion around that. Put that figure in, formally accepted. What day is it today, Rob? Uh, Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. yesterday, everything was everything was. F- like everything was formalized with regards to my offer being accepted it was taken off the market um been in conversation with a mortgage broker uh, i'm waiting f- uh tomorrow morning i'll have official confirmation if my mortgage is will be coming through i think it will but it you know i haven't had that final confirmation so but just waiting for that and uh, you know and then i'm in sort of the knee deeps thing of uh I need to go through a lot of solicitors' paperwork <laughs> and all the rest of it, but it's oh, it's an absolute headache. Uh, I think we 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 kind of go back every five years to uh, do our mortgage, mm. and it's just an absolute ball ache. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have that ball ache to look forward to, but yes. Um, yeah. So uh, I've got a really good mortgage deal. I'm happy with that. Um, I just have to go through a lot of morg- uh, solicitors' paperwork uh, tomorrow. Uh, make time for that. That's excellent. I'm really happy for you, and especially like the whole like. I, well, I know the the property climate is always a bit dodgy, mm. but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that that's really good. Yeah, thanks, um, Rob. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I told uh, 
uh, obviously family know and uh, told one or two friends as well and everyone's uh, really happy for me which is which is nice but um, yeah uh, all things cont- like if everything goes smoothly <laughs> and there's no hiccups okay because um, I know so, you know the, the big for a lot of people I think the hurdle is waiting on solicitors um, but if there's no hurdles and everything goes smoothly uh, everything I basically should have the house I think the back end of next month. Really? Yeah, it, it's going really, really quick. Um, uh, and it, the fact that it's sort of like everything's... I've just got that... We're only sort of like several hours away of the, the, the mortgage being um, made official. And this has only been... Uh, what? If it was Saturday, I rang up. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, because I keep on forgetting it's winter. Yeah, it's only been four days. So it's gone incredibly quick. Yeah. It's like, what? But yeah, it's all good. Well, that's good. So, um, yeah. So, so can you tell us about it? Um, yeah. Uh, so it's a two-bedroom house. I would classify it as a new, as a new build uh, because of the type of house, you know, the type of house it is. But sort of, uh, it was built um, what ten years ago. So I think officially okay. it's not like a new build, but you know what I mean. Um, it's, nice... it's had time to settle, so the ground's not going to sink or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why the current owners are selling. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, fine. I think uh, if any of there was problems, I think it would have emerged within the ten years. Um, yeah, it's What's in... that crack down the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll just make that as a Doctor Who feature. <laughs> oh, that that's meant to be there. That's a that's a reference to the Matt Smith era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the subsidence, Liam. Uh, I'll get back to you on that reference. Um, yeah, so. Nice house, two bedroom. It's um, it's fairly decent size. I quite like it, and well, obviously because I bought it. I'm not going to buy. It's in South Shields, Rob. Oh, okay. Mm. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I'll send you more details uh, later on. But um, which would you say is the worst Shields? North. There's no question. North. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Um. Oh yeah, I guess so. I mean. North is closer, mm. but um, yeah, South's cooler. You know what we'll have to do? Mm. Do you remember that little train that goes around <gasps> yes. that park? Yeah, yeah. We'll have to go there. I'll come round to yours, um, and we'll go on. We'll go on the train. We'll go on the choo choo train around the park. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ah, yeah. uh, is it still there? It has to be. I think it is actually, because uh, I mean, I used to go to that. My grandparents used to take take me to that park a lot when I was a kid. So I've got a lot of very happy memories of South Shields. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got a friend of mine who has uh, two children, and I'm sure during the summer he took them there, and I'm sure there was the train. I think so. Yeah. I do think it is there. That's cool. We'll mm. have to go there. We'll go sightseeing. We'll go to Bridley Scott's old house and get a get a photograph and, yeah, see the sights. Oh, yes, I forgot. Yeah, I'm going to, to Ridley <laughs> Scott's old haunt. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> being a movie fan for you. Yeah, that's the reason why I'm moving. <laughs> uh yeah great yeah that's cool the o- the only famous uh director's house that i can live by is that bloody guy who directed avp i see yeah mm. but yeah you've got ridley scott i've got yeah i've got ridley scott yeah yeah uh and tony scott don't forget tony scott Okay. In fact, uh, actually, uh, was it his? Oh, I can't remember. Was it his grandfather or uncle who actually started the the Tyneside Cinema? Yeah, 
That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I know he's he's been there once or twice at, at events. Mm. Um, because of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for those that uh, that don't know, um, in Newcastle City Centre we have a we have an art house cinema called Tyneside Cinema, uh, and it's been there for an awfully long time. I th- I think it predates the 1930s. I can't remember the exact year off the top of my head, but it. Um, but uh, a relative of uh, Ridley Scott's set up that cinema. So, Phil, you know, film obviously has a, a long history in his family, and it is yeah. a nice cinema. Yeah, is it got a, um, some title as the longest running some kind of cinema? I don't know. Uh, it does have some title like that, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Hmm. Anyway, cool. um, without any further ado, unless uh, is there anything else you want to mention, Rob? Um, no, um, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, we'll crack on to it. So today uh, we're reviewing Doctor Who story, The Claws of Axos. Recently, uh, since our uh, since our return, um, we've been reviewing Doctor Who stories that have some sort of link to the 60th and a little bit beyond. Uh, this has no connection. This is just I wanted to I just wanted to review the clause of Axos. Uh, that's the that's the only reason. So in terms of the plot synopsis, uh, this time I'm stealing the plot description from the Radio Times website. So unit investigates when an organic spaceship crash lands in England close to the Newton power station. The craft's occupants are golden-skinned humanoids who offer mankind axonite, a substance with the apparent potential to end food shortages. In return, they need to repair their ship, Axos, but it transpires that the aliens, the ship, and the axonite are all one entity, which intends to suck the energy from Earth and its inhabitants. The axons are also in league with the Master, who modifies the Doctor's TARDIS to escape Earth and leave the planet to its fate. The cast and crew... Doctor Who is played by John Pertwee, the Brigadier, Nicholas Courtney, the Master, Roger Delgado, Joe Grant, Katie Manning, Captain Yates, Richard Franklin, Sergeant Benton, John Levine, Chin, Peter Bathurst, Bill Filer, Paul Grist, Sir George Hardiman, Donald Hewlett, Windsor, David Savile, Axon Man, Bernard Holly, Captain Harker, Tim Pickett-Smith, and Pigpin Josh, Derek Ware. It's a wonderful performance that we'll get into that in a second. Uh, the writers were Bob Baker and Dave Martin. The incidental music was by Dudley Simpson. The designer, Kenneth Sharp. The script editor was Terence Dix. The producer was Barry Letts. And the director was Michael Ferguson. So, Rob, uh, this is a story that I think uh, both of us are very familiar with. Um, um, well, I have to be honest, I'd never seen this story until I'd got the DVD. Oh, okay. In 2005. In, when, um, in 2005. Right, okay. Um I was I was I was familiar with it. I'd seen I think I'd I'd seen clips of it. Uh, I was I definitely seen lots of photos and read about it. Hmm. I remember having an issue of Doctor Who Weekly and one of the pinup posters in the middle was one of the axons, the ugly looking version. Mm-hmm. Um so I remember thinking, wow, there's this big spaghetti monster. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's cool. That's cool. But um, got the DVD and I thought it was great. All the characters were on good form. Apart from um, Joe, which I think she got a bit sidelined in the first episode. Like, why isn't she speaking? Uh, but 
it had great vibes, like some cool um, invasion film, uh, like cheesy film, and with these monsters and uh, with a deadly threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it ticked all boxes. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. All right, okay. I th- um, see. For me, uh, I'm very familiar with it. Uh, I actually remember getting the the VHS back in uh, the Virgin store that we had uh, mm. at the bottom of Northumberland Street. Uh, yes, that VHS. So I go way back. I think I was eight uh, when I first watched this, and it's a story that's always stuck with me. And yeah, Rob, there's just something something about this story I just think is is really special. So as I said before. The story was written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin. And they would go on to write several Doctor Who stories over the years. Uh, not only during the the John Pertwee era, but also mm. uh, in Tom Baker's time as well. In fact, uh, right up to season 15. And then Bob Baker would write a separate story in Tom Baker's penultimate season, Nightmare of Eden. So they would have this long history of writing Doctor Who stories. And this is their very first and they were co- they were coached extensively by Terence Dix. He um, saw real potential of them in, as as writers and thought oh, they, you know, they've got the ability to write and they come up with some really good ideas. The problem is that they just need to hone their skill a bit more and then also uh, make their make their stories much more realistic in terms of budget. Because when they were in conversation with Terence Dix and uh, Barry Letts, the producer, about the sort of stories they were doing, it was just like yeah, but. Even even films with a multi-million pound budget were free to struggle this. And this is a television program for the BBC, Get Real Guys. But um, Terence Sticks coached them for about a year and a half. He really took their time with them. Which I think says something about not only about the Bob, Bob Baker and Dave Martin's apparent skill as writers and go, you know, there's something about these guys and, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help them along. But I also think it says something a lot about Terence Sticks. Um... And not wishing to disparage any of the other script editors, although I think I'm going to about to. But uh, it's interesting, you know, later on when you get the likes of, you know, Eric Saywood, for example, when he's script editor in the 1980s. And he's always been honest, you know, he really struggled finding writer capable of, of writing stories for Doctor Who. Um, and he struggled, I, forgot, uh, I think, the, uh, struggled with Glenn McCoy, who wrote Time Lash. Um, which is a story completely disparaged. And Glenn McCoy was, you know, th- was very new to the game. I think he'd only written a couple of episodes of a medical drama and this was his, like, first big job. And by the sounds of it, he didn't really get much support from Eric Saywood as a script editor. Now, that isn't, you know, maybe he didn't have time or anything like that, but the fact that Terrence Sticks made the time on top of everything else that he was doing, and as I said, a year and a mm-hmm. half, and then what we get is this fantastic story, the Claws of Axos. Um, but anyway, let's uh, let's take it one step. So first of all, looking at uh, episode one, it starts off really strongly, and there's a, there's uh, it goes at a really good pace. But the first thing that I want to talk about, character, uh, uh, sorry, the first thing I want to talk about, Rob, is a character called Pigpin Josh. Um, mm. Yeah, how would you describe that character? I think we all know somebody like him. So in in that sense, he's very relatable. Um, but no, seriously, what was going on? 
I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, so we have this character and he's actually played by one of the stuntmen, um, Derek Ware. And he has these great lines of dialogue, which consist of... If <laughs> anyone who hasn't seen this story, no exaggerate, that is yeah. his dialogue. It's just, right, okay. And he is the comedy tramp, folks. Uh, he's uh, this character who, uh, it, for, apart from Unit, who is seeing these, uh, is aware that there's a spaceship approaching Earth. Uh, this is the first character on Earth who actually experiences the the arrival of the the axons, and mm. it's through his eyes and his experience we realise the jeopardy that we're in, and this is realised brilliantly by him riding a bicycle, deciding to change it for another bicycle which he's found in a rubbish tip, which is clearly a busted old bike. Yeah, and he then throws it, uh, then goes back on his original bike, pedals off, and then promptly uh, falls into a lake and is splashing around like the creature from the Black Lagoon as the camera then pans up to show us the main location and the threat is the fact that the aliens have landed next to a nuclear power station. And we see this yeah. all brilliantly through our experiences with this comedy tramp character. With one Now, of- when he fell in the water, mm. throw a tramp in a cold lake Hmm. that's going to be fatal yes but as it turns out i mean this i mean it's tragic this character does die (laughs) but um but uh but it's not yet but it's not at this moment he dies later we'll come back to i think he is slowly dying of hypothermia at this point but he doesn't reach yeah maybe i mean something's obviously going on i mean he's obviously not the most coherent of of people what with his brilliant uh no dialogue of um which he says for uh, for for a good uh, for a good sentence um but we'll co- put a pin in him we'll we'll come back to pig pin josh in a moment um our main uh, focus initially is uh is something's happening happening in unit there's a big meeting going on and it seems to be two sort of things going on we have bill filer who is an american um from the C- he works for the CIA and this is the third story in season 8 so this is John Pertwee's second season and we've had which started with terror of the autons then we had the mind of evil and the main villain in both those stories was 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 the new creation which is the master and this continues the whole of season 8 would have uh the master turn up uh, so obviously the master is bad news and this needs to be investigated so this is going on at the same time we have this um i don't know precisely what he is i don't know whether he's actually a civil servant i suppose he is or a politician of some sort but he's in the world of politics but we'll say he's a civil servant called chin um and he seems to be investigating the doctor and going through the files and obviously nothing there's nothing on the doctor Mm. And Chin's concerned because of this that the Doctor is a security risk. Um, and there's this meeting and there's lots of backwards and forwards and the, um, the Doctor being uh, quite antagonistic to this character, Chin, who Terence Dix suggested he be a sort of little Englander type. Uh, and I know that can be quite a contentious term, little Englander, but that's that's the term that Terence Dix wanted for this character. that's what he said he wanted this character to be and actually that's exactly what he turns out to be and that becomes a you know his 
that characterization plays a part in the in the development of the story uh, it does yeah uh, and then when we've got this meeting going on this is when the axons arrive and everyone starts sort of like freaking out uh, the doctor's the very calm one and is able to calmly calculate where the spaceship is li- likely to land and lo and behold he's right but everyone else is freaking out and decides that uh, the best thing to do is launch a whole bunch of missiles at this at of this course um, and have not many people voice their concerns just get on with it yeah yeah j- just get on with it but uh, the doctor's not happy with this and you know it, and quite rightly he's pointing out just going what shoot first and ask questions afterwards uh what's actually interesting during the course of this episode though is that things really start to change and i think this is just one good example of how well structured the writing is of the story where the attitude of the accent switches so at the very beginning because we don't know anything about them the doctor is against treating them as a threat whereas chin and unit do and it's actually chin who la- uh, who tells unit to launch the missiles then uh, during the course of the story they they actually encounter the axons and then the doctor started to become suspicious that mm, there's you know the, the the whole story about the fact that they that they need help uh that they escaped their planet because of solar flares the doctor realizes that there's something about that story which doesn't quite add up and he starts picking holes in it so the doctor becomes suspicious with chin and the team having switched around and now wanting to go into a trade agreement with them because of this thing called axonite, which apparently, you know, is this brilliant thinking molecule and will be able to... Um, Make frogs big. Frogs big. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Was that not your food? No, no, it's not. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like that scene. I thought it was funny dialogue. I always think, though, but it's like, yeah, but what? But the French would disagree. Yeah. Um, have you... I know you're a vegetarian, Rob, but uh, have you ever... Did you used to eat meat? Not much, yes. But, you know, I didn't um, didn't indulge myself in loads of stuff. Oh, right, okay. So, no. Just lots of KFC. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, um, when I was... <laughs> did, uh, I can't remember, Rob. Did, did you go to the, uh, the that French school trip that we did in, when we were in year seven? Were you there? No. All oh, right, okay. No, I didn't go. Well, when we were in Normandy... Uh, we ended up having uh, frog's legs on the menu. And we were told that there would be, t- that, you know, it's like any th- any meat that you haven't tried. It's like, it tastes like chicken, it'll be fine. Doesn't like, it doesn't. Doesn't taste like chicken at all. I didn't like it. Oh. I just thought I'd let everyone know that, you know, I've ate fr- <laughs> frog's legs in France. Have you had snails? I have had snails, uh, but when I was in Italy. Mm. Uh, I quite liked them, actually. All right. Hmm. But frogs. Bleh. Anyway, uh, I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. So uh, apparently this thing will be able to stop um, shortages of food. Um, mm. So then, so Chin is wanting to go, go into a trade agreement with them. Um, so really, the, the Doctor has initially given the axons the benefit of the doubt, but then starts poking holes in the story. Uh, one of the things that I would say about the Clause of Axons, I think a lot of people have said about this, is that it's very atypical of like the Pertwee era. If you were to pick a story which is typifies the era perfectly, it's this story. And I think I agree with them. And for me, I love John Pertwee as the Doctor. He's actually my favourite. Um, 
But like with everything else with the Clause of Axos, I think that uh, if you're not familiar with the John Pertwee era, um, I would, th- I mean, I may be wrong in this, there may be exceptions, but I think that if you're not keen on Clause of Axos, you may not be keen on the era. And if you don't like the Doctor in this story, you're not really going to like John Pertwee as the Doctor because he is a bit of a prick. Um, and how he deals and talks with people. He's ve- he's a grumpy sod, but I love that. And it's it's very Pertwee, and he, he has a very serious interpretation of the character. He's very uh, spiky, serious, and there's not much humour there. In fact... Um, on one of the Behind the Sofa uh, special features in the Blu-ray box set, uh, I forgot which season it is, uh, maybe this one, but uh, in one of the John Pertwee seasons, Peter Davison is really surprised when watching the, uh, the John Pertwee stories at how serious Pertwee is in the role. What's your thoughts on, on Pertwee as the Doctor and what are your thoughts of him in this story? Um with regards to like his seriousness, I've always quite liked that mm. that he doesn't joke around. Yeah, um, he comes across that he kind of knows what he's doing, um, even if he has his own intentions and motives. But um, yeah, he, I quite like that that he doesn't goof around. Um, but in this story in particular, does he make the right decisions? Um, is he acting? out of his own self-interest, maybe, because he does kind of do a runner and admit that at the end. Uh, and maybe he, he doesn't step in in episode one, um, maybe as much as he could have when they were firing the missiles. Um, but yeah, I, I do like um, Pertwee's Doctor mm-hmm. quite a lot. Oh, good, good. No, no, I was just wondering. Um so yeah, um, so this is going on, and then um, whilst this is happening, we also start to see that uh, there are other odd things going inside this Axon spaceship, and uh, our favourite character, Pigpin Josh, um, uh, <laughs> uh, he had uh, he'd actually been uh, kidnapped by the Axons and sort of mentally interrogated. Uh, and as far as the Axons are concerned, this man is completely worthless. So they uh, they basically suck all the energy out of him and then ditch his carcass outside the ship. And that who's later discovered by uh, Captain Yates and Sergeant Benton. And Captain Yates just lightly touches uh, Pigpin Josh's forehead, and it starts to collapse. And then the screen whites out, and so the bodies collapse. Now, there's a couple of things with the the Blu-ray box set. Um, you can there's two versions of episode one you can watch. There's the oh, an extended version. There's an extended version, and the original transmitted version. Um, there's not much difference between the two, but one of them is surrounds the the death of this character. Uh, in the original transmitted version, we start to see the face collapse in on itself, and then the screen whites out. And then you left thinking, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Um, Whereas in the extended version, it was the version that had originally been intended to be broadcast. And you actually see the whole special effect. Uh, What it was, it was a a head made of wax um, as a a special effect. And then you see the the whole head collapse into itself. 
it's actually a really good effect. Now, I think both versions work. You know what you know what's going on. But the reason why there was this whiteout is because um, they felt that they needed to soften it. That original special effect was perhaps a bit too scary. I wanted to look into something. Because it's always been said that the very first story of this season, Terror of the Autons, had this massive reaction that um, forced... The, the, the makers of the show to really tamper down on the on the violence and it was that story in particular terror of the autons and it was it was even discussed in parliament this story uh, and that's the reason why they softened this special effect with pig point pig pin josh's death i've been wanting to do this for a long time and maybe i should have done it originally when we reviewed terror of the autons but i didn't at the time but i have now I wanted to have a look at the Hansard reports and see what was actually said during the Houses of Parliament regarding Terror of the Autons. Have we reviewed that? Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a while no, back, no but, re- but we have reviewed No recollection it. of that. <laughs> All right, okay. So, go on. <laughs> There's a lot of stories, uh, but we have reviewed it. And um, Terror of the Autons is not mentioned. Um, hmm. So... I had a look and I found um, the Hansard report for a, a debate that took place in the House of Lords on Wednesday the 3rd of February 1971. Because this is how I roll people. And what this was, um, this was a, a mass media communication. And it was a, a general debate on the, and I quote, problem of the use and misuse of mass media in communication in its broadcast setting. Uh, and that was said by Lord Bishop of Durham. All that was said during the course of this debate was by the wonderfully named Baroness Bacon. And she said, uh, I was I was going to affect a, a posh woman voice from 1971 for this, but I'm not. Uh, but she said, I think that the programmes for the tiny children are really excellent. There's a whole new series of fairy tales and fairy tale characters and a tremendous amount of work must have gone into producing them. I'm not so sure about some of the series for the older children. Toggle showing location of, and I wonder what has happened to Doctor Who recently, because many children must have gone to bed and had nightmares after seeing the recent episodes. That's all that's said. Okay. And when that debate actually took place, yes, Terror of the Autons has been broadcast, but so is episode one and two of The Mind of Evil. So she might have been bothered by The Mind of Evil. Hmm. Mind of Evil might have been... The freakish story. We don't know. But this whole thing that, um, oh, Terror of the Autons was discussed, uh, you know, was actually discussed in the Houses of Parliament because it was that scary. Turns out to be nonsense. Doctor Who was discussed, but it was in those general terms. So, you know, that's what my research has brought up, folks. (laughs) Exclusive on this podcast. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Um... Maybe we should. Uh, Just a myth. Yeah. Anyway, that's. A, I think that's probably the only time we will ever uh, ever quote a Hansard report on uh, on this podcast. Um, um. Yeah. Insightful, but underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it interested me. Anyway, let's quickly move on from that. Um. So with episode two, um, Chen really comes into his own at this part uh, point of the story because he's obtained special powers which hinders unit. Uh. Yeah, so so yep. he uses like emergency powers, um, which is 
the UK equivalent of like martial law. Mm. Um, so the authorities can kind of, um, or the army rather, could uh, could take control of a situation um, if it warrants it, yeah. Um, and it's interesting that this causes conflict with UNIT. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think UNIT stands? Do you think they they would have to answer to the UK? Well, it's interesting, and this is what the sort of the, the story uh, does because um, Chen uses his special powers. The brigadier says that he will go over his head and report this to Geneva and the United Nations. On hearing this, Chin then says um, all unit personnel to be arrested and they must have communication with no one. Mm. Um, so there's a bit of this story and it has a, it's sort of like ironically has a payoff. I'll get back onto that because this plays out in episode three. But there's uh, So this means that the, all the unit personnel are imprisoned and um, you know it's about the, the brigadier. He needs to communicate in order to come out, get out of this predicament, but he can't. Um, there's a colonel played by Tim Pickett Smith, and this is his first ever TV appearance. He would have this absolutely tremendous career, acting career over year, over many years. He would also appear in uh, the Tom Baker story, The Mask of Mandragora, as part of that amazing career. But um, this is his first TV appearance. And he plays this colonel who um, he bugs uh, the office in which uh, the brigadier is um, uh, imprisoned in, uh, as well as threatening him at gunpoint at, at, at various occasions. And what's interesting about sort of like Chin and his use of the special powers and this, this trumped up idiotic politi- political type figure it's a it's it's a great um uh, archetype uh which hasn't dated but it's very typical of of the sort of thing that this era of doctor who does incredibly well uh you know so with doctor who and the silurians we see it in inferno it's in sea devils it's loads of stories during the Pertwee era in particular and chin's a very good example of that mm-hmm. um now rob you may uh, you mentioned earlier that uh in episode one and i, I agree with you Joe's very, you know, very much sidelined. Yeah, I was left thinking, oh, did Katie have a sore throat? <laughs> um, now, she was very vocal in uh, the first few scenes. Mm. Um, but yeah, then she just isn't given a chance to speak hardly. And um, they're very dismissive of her. And, um, you know, she's, she's told to stay stay put while they go and inve- investigate the Axon ship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is that an intentional part of the uh, the narrative? Or is it just, just happens to be like that? Yeah, it just happens to be like that. I mean, I think if anyone was to point out like an example of like maybe 70s sexism, you could, and I could actually see the argument of, you know, pointing out how Joe is threatened in the first episode. Mm-hmm. She is very much sidelined and... Yeah. All the men are the important characters, and they go off and do, you know, manly important yeah. stuff by, you know, pushing the plot forward and investigating all the rest of it. And Joe is literally told, uh, "No, you stay here." Mm. And uh, I mean, there is a lot going on, and there's a lot of characters mm. to deal with in those first two episodes. Yeah, um, maybe it's a consequence of that, 
Um, but maybe that's something that should have been addressed in the story writing stages. Mm. Yeah, maybe. But having said that, though, I mean, she does, effect- thankfully, she does ignore all that stupid advice. And uh, she does go and investigate the ship. She's the one who realises that Bill Filer has been ca- uh, kidnapped by the Axons as well. And, you know, we have that great cliffhanger where this, this Axon, like, appear- lunge- it just appears out of nowhere and, you know, uh, comes out of the wall at her. Um, yeah. But I actually think that episode two does actually addresses these issues and I think does Joe a lot of favours. What's interesting with the Doctor is, you know, uh, because everyone hears Joe scream and then they go and it's the Doctor, one of the Axons and the Brigadier. And they're all very dismissive of her having heard Bill Filer. And she's adamant that she has, which I really like as, you know, as a character. She's going, you know, she's surrounded by three people telling her that, you know, it must have been her hallucination, but she knows that's not the case, and she stands on her own. But what's interesting is that when the Doctor and Joe are alone, the Doctor, you know, actually tells her that, no, I believed you, and I always did, and that really perks Joe up. But it also shows that the Doctor was um, trying to put the the you know axon at his ease. Um, you know, so the Doctor's been a bit calculating then, so that, that's right, a, that, okay. that's a bit interesting. I thought that was good. But I think mm. Joe really comes into her own in this episode, particularly when she she argues very strongly and very vehemently with Chin about his underhanded deal with the Axons and uh, the way that he's going on about it. I mean, she's based, I mean, not in these exact words, but she's basically calling out on his dickish behaviour, which I really like. I really like that scene. And I thought that was really strong development of a character because if you, I know that you don't remember us recording it for the podcast, Rob, but... You remember the story terror of the Autons, don't you? Yeah. And how Joe's introduced in that story as being a bit sort of like clumsy and she... she, uh, uh, Yeah, wasn't the Doctor a bit dismissive of her in the first scene? Yes, because she doesn't have a scientific background. She's ruined one of his experiments and all the rest of it. You know, and this is only her third story. You know, she was in Terror of the Autons, The Minor Evil, and then The Claws of Axos. And if you actually see how her character's developed at this point she's very strong she's much more assertive that would obviously carry on through the the rest of the time she was in the show but i think this show's really good um development of a character i mean do you think yeah, do you oh, agree so, or so, am I yeah so this? maybe maybe at this stage she's more of the companion archetype than than the joe grant that we know mm. yeah um but one of the things i've really got to mention is because it's interesting that we have uh these aliens axons and their technology is is of an of an organic nature and i think the Mm. the design of you know i think the look of them um both in terms of the 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 golden humanoid beautiful look and the spaghetti like organic thing Mm. is really well done and i think the design of the the spaceship is is really good but of course it's it's very organic there is a problem with one of the design features in this spaceship though rob oh yeah um it's the camera and in the The camera yeah do you remember this this big organic camera it's a bit phallic oh right yeah i think that's i think that's i think that's a bit too organic it's a bit too Mm. much especially (laughs) later on in the story when um uh there's this whole biological attack going on and you actually see it and it's covered in white gunk just go, oh, God. <laughs> That's a bit much. Mm. To be seen. 
<laughs> how this got a PG certificate, I have no idea. And yeah, it's a, it's a bit too organic. That's a bit too much. But otherwise, I th- <laughs> apart from the phallic camera, I think I think the rest of the design's good. Yeah, I think they did a good mix of um, studio bits mm. and um, maybe some miniatures and um, like what did they use? There was a lot of like bubbles and organic moving pieces and. They kind of um, merge them all together, mm. and um, it works really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. I mean, I was going to mention this for episode four, but I think uh, I think in general, I think the production of this story is really good, and it. I mean, it, it has a very psychedelic uh, look to a lot of the scenes, um, uh, especially in the, inside the spaceship, and I think that's done really well. But yeah. I th- I mean, there is an element when you're watching it. It is. It does feel like it's 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 on the verge of breaking what could be achieved in early '70s TV. You know, they really mm. bring you know everything that could possibly be done to make a science fiction television series is just being thrown at it. Mm. And I think on the I think on the yeah okay, looking at it now, you, it's you know you you could look go yeah, it looks a bit dated. But having said that, though, I still think that the production and the look of the story is really good, and I do find it very easy to immerse. You know, things have mm. obviously moved on considerably since 1971. Uh, be, be surprising if it hadn't. But nonetheless, I still think, you know, watching The Claws of Axos, it's still, I'm still impressed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, with episode two, we, we come up to the, the big realisation in what I think is probably one of the most wonderfully dramatic cliffhangers ever with, with the performances and Dudley Simpson's bonkers electronic music. Um, yeah, it's like, how are they going to get out of this? Yeah, it's, it, I think it's one of the best cliffhangers ever where it's that realisation of what Axon Knight and Axons are, that it's all tied in... Um, the doctor realizing that this stuff could endanger the t- uh, entire planet, and uh, then the the spaghetti versions of the axons come come in and start attacking every uh, you know everyone like the Doctor Joe and Bill Filer. Yeah, do, do you like it as a cliffhanger as well? Oh yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, and I remember how much I liked it at the time. Mm. Yeah, I think it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it was just great. It's one of the reasons why it's just like uh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I, I mean it just. Um, what's the name of the actor? Hang on. Um, trying to think. Uh, Bill Filer. Paul Grist. Uh, just the way he's, you know, when when the doctor's like, exp- you know, telling him what accents is and just the way he, even the way he says, can't you stop it? Uh, <laughs> is, it is he an actual American actor? Well, there's times when I thought not because I thought his accent maybe broke a little bit mm. in, in once or twice. Maybe I'm wrong though. Oh, I don't think he is. Mm. And he's in a Blake 7 episode. Uh, Gambit, I think. It's in series two. I don't think he has an American accent in there. He has a bit of a husky like a, do- voice, a dodgy but... Welsh accent. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think he's American. I think, you know, just, can't you stop it? Um, anyway, uh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> despite the, the dodginess of the accent, it is a great delivery of the line, and I love the whole, the whole cliffhanger. Um, one funny enough, despite all this, one thing that we haven't mentioned, Rob, is one of the the other main characters of the story, which is the master. Yeah, he just appears. Um, what was his last appearance in the previous story? Where did he go? 
Uh, ooh, it's been a while since I've watched The Mind of Evil. I know that his whole thing of launching a um, a rocket full of nerve gas um, fails. I, I think the last time that we see him, I think he I think because he, he gets into a van and runs over uh, one of the characters who and then that kills him. All right. So now we just now he's just off off somewhere with the axons. Mm-hmm. Ah. With Fair his enough. TARDIS disguised as a big white cabinet. Yeah, but um, one of the things. So anyway, uh, going back to because one of the things that we were discussing uh, episode one was how well I think the story is written. Then when we come into episode three, I think that shows it really well with what happens narratively. So the master is helping the axons to um, you know destroy the earth, and the axons intend to do this by um, absorbing all the planet's energy and. Uh, and all the humans on the planet as well. So when the Doctor said that, you know, this stuff could endanger the entire world, he wasn't exaggerating. Uh, But there's a problem with this, because in order for this to happen, axon, um, axonite has to be placed pretty much around the globe. And this is being prevented by the character Chin, who obviously thinks that axonite is this marvellous thing and basically just wants to keep it in England. Um, Mm. Which gives us this brilliant line when the doctors explain the situation to Joe, saying that Chin has done the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, of course. Um, but anyway, uh, what the Master then has to do is basically tell the United Nations about Chin's deal. And so the United Nations become aware of this brilliant thing called Axonite, and then and then that, that spurs on this whole thing about, um, well, in which case it needs to be transported around the planet. But because the UN are now aware of this, this actually helps UNIT and the Brigadier. They are now released, so they're no longer imprisoned. So, the, you know, they've got the power to do what they need to do, um, which, com- you know, so everything's backfired in Chin's face. But it's that wonderful thing because it really adds to the drama because now we've got the situation where UNIT can start doing something about it, uh, about the situation, but what... But how that's happened actually hastens the Axon's plan and puts them back on schedule. So I think this is really good pacing, really really good drama and really good writing. But at the same time, the seeds of resolution have been sown for how you know things will be resolved in the fourth episode. But uh I mean I've always enjoyed this episode, but when I was when I was watching the story for the for the purpose of this podcast, I think it was the first time that I really appreciated how good the script is. Yeah, we get the whole thing of um, the axons talking to the Doctor as well in, in episode three. Yeah, when they they reveal what they really want, um, the secret of of, um, of time travel. Yes, and what how that will benefit them. Um, but again, that could also benefit the Doctor because at this mm-hmm. part in the the story uh, in the series history. The Doctor has had his memories wiped by the Time Lords and exiled on the planet Earth. The Axons realise that the Doctor could provide them with the ability to time travel. And they actually have the ability to restore his memories and thereby end his exile. Um, so again, that's another thing. A conflict of interest emerges naturally in the story with you know where the Doctor is in his situation and what the axons in, intend to do. Um, mm. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. I I think the doctor, well, he's possibly tempted, but he doesn't. Um, I, he doesn't. He obviously he doesn't follow through with this. Yeah. Um, and he just deceives them. But he is tempted again by the master, um, and kind of indulges himself in that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but again, there's been this wonderful flip. Uh, in the story. So whereas the master was initially the prisoner of the Axons and he was released in order to help them, which he's done by telling United Nations, which has released uh which has released the stranglehold on Unit, which gets Unit to uh, uh imprison the master. Uh at this point the doctor is imprisoned on the Axons spaceship. Um so he's being forced to help the Axons, and the Master is then forced to team up with Unit to help to actually start saving the planet of the very plan he helped put to fruition. Um, so the Master uh, puts this plan in place to stop the Axons, but in doing so, that ri- that risks the uh, the life of the Doctor and Joe. Hmm. And you've got that thing with the cliffhanger of. You know the master. You know because uh, the master, po- you know, points this out that the, the doctor and Joe could could you know will die with Axon, uh, with the Axons. The brigadier is. But they've got little choice. Yeah, yeah. And the brigadier goes no, and then the master points out either. You know, either we destroy Axis or Axis destroys the world. Which is it to be, brigadier? And you, you know, and he goes, well, yeah, it's got to be. And then you, it's another really good cliffhanger. Um, um, and then we have the Doctor and Joe kind of getting thrown around <laughs> inside the Axon ship. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, in part four, that that whole scene with the Doctor and Joe is even better because we have Axon heads flying around yep. as if it's dimensions in time all over again. Yeah, but um, this is... <laughs> this is before. This predates that, so yeah. is this... <laughs> oh, I never thought was dimensions that. in time inspired by this? Uh, possibly but funnily enough even though dimensions and time was made in 1993 with those floating heads of those those severed floating heads of william hartman and patrick trout are oh, tasteful stuff yeah. um this is much more or, or as, as i've heard them described as doc brown and an evil paul mccartney <laughs> you know what yes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, because that's a, yeah, that's exactly yep. They made Patrick Trout. That yeah, you're right. They do make him look like an evil uh, version of Paul McCartney, circa 1966. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but yeah, even you know, but even that you know, it's sort of like the, what the the floating heads in the close of Axos look way better. Yeah. Oh, um, going back to episode three, I love that technique they used with the Axon head on the screen, where he's talking to it. And he just turns his head and then it transitions to head on. Mm, yes. Um, I think there's a thing on the DVD um, that explains that, where they were just talking, turning the head to different cameras or doing it in two takes and uh, layering it over each other. No, I, th- I think the way that they did I, it, because uh, you're right, it is explained. I think what they did, it was they had uh, the actor was just facing in one direction and saying the lines and you had two cameras yeah. Uh, on him 
and one would be panning one way one would be panning the other and the vision mixer would then um to get this really interesting 3d effect of the head sort of moving but not uh you would fade between the two shots as these cameras moved around i think that's how they did mm. it uh simple but very effective you're right it looks it looks fantastic and uh you know the, the story has a, a lot of those uh, really strong visual effects um it does yeah uh and that's what i meant before i think you know just everything that that could be achieved in early 70s television is just thrown at this production and it's you know it's amazing and i think i think it pretty much succeeds um mm. Coming into the yeah, not just not just the sets and the effects mm. and the models, but like the locations as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. We've had lots of external stuff. We've had car chases. Mm. Um, we've had multiple enemies on screen. Um, so that kind of shows you the scope of um the development that went into those. Um, even though they're just weird, like rubbery spaghetti suits. Um. We've got gunfights, um, we've got the power station, we've got um, part of the Axon ship in a crater. Um, so, so many, so many locations hmm. and it's not one of those stories that just hops, ba- hops back and forward to like boring locations, you know, when you get stories hmm. and it's like, oh, back to this room again, back and forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this one didn't feel like that. Not one of the sets seemed um, overused or boring. <laughs> no, no, yeah, very much so. And I think, yeah, it's just... Uh, uh, In the power station room mm. with the um, the particle accelerator, um, that was an interesting set. And then um, the surrounding walkway was almost like a platform and we had... Bodies getting thrown out and over the edge a couple of times. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's in part four when we get the guy from the power plant, and um, when he's jettisoned outside, and we just see his body. Yeah, flung across the, the room and sort of like almost doing this double uh, yeah. somersault. Yeah, it's a great stunt. Yeah, yeah. Because he's wearing his balaclava to protect him from the radiation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, I've got to admit, I'd sort of like there is some there is some duff. Um, uh, nuclear science in this uh, so, yeah but circa 1971 understanding I mean, well funny enough maybe it he, was just cold in there even the master takes the mick out of mick out of it which is um, uh, I can't remember if it's in this episode or if it was an episode I can't remember if it's episode 3 or episode 4 but um, I think it's episode 4 you know when when uh, it looks like there's going to be a, this massive nuclear explosion and the master says he'll, he'll try and help and then one of the characters says is there anything we can do and then the master sort of like looks incredulous and he says oh well you know you um you know maybe do sticky tape on the windows that sort of thing um which does seem to be taking the it seems like a deliberate joke of mocking the um uh, the safety announcements that were made at the time of how to protect against nuclear blasts. Yeah. Um, Get under a table. You'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. Um, so yeah, it, it's all really building up into the uh, fourth episode where the Doctor and Joe have managed to escape. Um, 
And then what happens is we, we seem to have this un uneasy alliance between the Doctor and the Master. Um, and it looks like uh, the Doctor has decided to do a runner, get off the planet with the Master. Um, now, his farewell to everybody, mm. was that partly sincere? Was that 100% an act? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I mean I don't th I mean I don't know Rob if if you ever remember the first time you ever watched the story, but do you think anyone who's has watched The Close of Axos and has been sold on the doctor selling out? I'd imagine not mm. because it seemed like he was up to something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I don't think anyone would be sold on the doctor selling out, but I don't mind that. I remember even at the time when I first watched this, way back when I was eight, thinking, you know, oh, th th this can't be happening. The Doctor's, you know, going to have a trick up his sleeve type of thing. But the way that it is done makes sense narratively. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel gratuitous. Um, the way that the Doctor, do you can kind of see the, the reasoning behind the way that he's doing it. Maybe it's sort of, he's not going to doom the planet Earth, but there could be a way of him, get you know, ending his exile. So it's him, it could be seen as killing two birds with one stone. Um, mm. But yeah, this whole thing about the Doctor uh, doing a double bluff, uh, even though I've seen the story numerous times, you know, numerous times, and I know how the story's going to develop, I still get really engrossed in it. And I just, even this, as I said, watching it when I was eight, I knew that the, yeah, I wasn't sold on the Doctor selling out, but it was just like, yeah, but I wonder how it's going to play out. Even now, knowing how the story ends, it's still engaging drama. I still think it's really good. It is. And we have that great moment when they get back into the TARDIS, the Doctor and the Master. Mm. And when the Master's back is turned because they're trying to figure out why the TARDIS won't start, mm -hmm. the Doctor quickly replaces the part that he took earlier on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. With some little bit of comedy music by Dudley Simpson put in there. Mm. Wah, wah, wah. It's almost like it is sort of at that level, but it it is nicely done. Um yeah. but of course, um it was all a double bluff. The doctor gets the axons into a uh, into a time loop. Uh what's a time loop, Rob? Well, it's kind of when time kinda repeats and you know it's a time loop. Yeah, where one passes continuously through the same points in time. Passes continually through the same points in... Anyway, yeah. So he gets the axons into a time loop. Uh, he manages to boost himself free, but the axons are still in the time loop. Um, uh, the Masters uh, escaped to fight another day, uh, which will funnily yeah. enough... Be How did he escape? I'm guessing his TARDIS was aboard there. Yeah, yeah, where we actually see it. It's that big wood, it's that oh, big yeah. white oh, yes. thing that is done. <laughs> I mustn't have been paying attention. <laughs> that big white <laughs> that, that big white road wardrobe rob in the Alright, I thought that was unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the Doctor's TARDIS. Uh, the Master's TARDIS. Anyway, so yeah, he escapes in his uh his white wardrobe time machine thing. Uh and um and then we end on a on a co on a comic moment, <laughs> you know those those moments when a piece of drama decides to end on a, on a light hearted note of, uh, mm -hmm. in this case, the Doctor saying, "I guess I'm a supposed uh, uh, I'm a, a galactic yo yo," and then that's always stuck with me. Like, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, this just I think that was a John Pertwee ad lib. I think that was his own I don't think it was scripted, I think that was his own thing. And then of course he does this sort of he sort of gurns just this amazing facial expression that only John Pertwee could achieve. Uh and then we go into the end credits and yeah, it's just it's just wonderful. Yeah. Um but that's it's good. It kind of reasserts the doctor mm-hmm. right where he needs to be. Yeah. You can't can't leave Earth. Mm-hmm. Um and we've had a bit of character development in a nice little invasion on the way. So it was a yeah, it was a good little four part. Yeah. So uh before we finish up and wrap things up, we have had some feedback from our listeners. So um, people still use Twitter, Rob. It's amazing. So we've had some comments. Uh, one is from one of our brilliantly dedicated listeners, Sonia. Hi, Sonia. Uh, Hi, Sonia. Who said, I really need to get my butt into gear watching the older stories, but I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Well, Sonia, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and I hope it gets your butt into gear to watch the damn thing. Um, if you ever get around to watching The Claws of Axos, do let us know what you think. Uh, hopefully you enjoy it, but even if you don't, uh, we'd love to know what you think, what your thoughts are. Are they are they going on to Disney Plus? Do you think? Oh, that worldwide. That is a good question. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it'd be great if mm. it, it, it'd be great if they did, but I sus uh, rights might be a bit of an issue. Yeah, we we, we kind of know that right is a bit of an issue right now, don't we? <laughs> With, yeah. with the pilot. Yes, we do. The, Who the, uh, never saw that one coming for, for for the 60th anniversary. To celebrate uh, the 60th anniversary <laughs> of the show, we will be making the, the very first Doctor Who story officially yeah. missing. I mean, it's not... It's, it's more than an anniversary of the show. It's an anniversary of that first episode. <laughs> yep. Uh, now they've legally lost it. So... so so basically, the the BBC have what offered them twenty grand, which is of, of license payers' money, which is for a story he did uh, not that, write, and that that price that price is capped, so they can't offer more of our license payer money. Um, but that's not enough. He wants more to um, <laughs> restore. It's uh, yeah, it's absolutely it's nuts. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. Um, it's bizarre. It's it's not something I would have thought at the beginning of the year. Let's celebrate the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who by uh, by uh, reducing the limitation of the very first episode. I mean, the only thing I will say about it because I think lots of people have opinions. Is it a lost story now? Well, no, because I mean, you can still you can still watch it online. Um, Yeah. There'll be places online that you can watch it. People will still have the DVD. The only... The disappointing thing, I think, with regards to it is that it wasn't just a case that classic Doctor Who was going to be put onto iPlayer. It was the way that it was going to be done. There was going to be uh, sign language uh, options for for people. There was going to be subtitles and uh, I think there was going to be other things. It So it wasn't just a case of classic Doctor Who being put on iPlayer. It was making the original run of Doctor Who accessible in a way it had never been before it wasn't just a case of putting yeah. it onto a like a streaming service if you like there were other things surrounding it so um people hard and of the hearing BBC's or... always glossed up everything like oh this is really accessible yeah 
um but that has its limitations yeah um so so people yeah. that you know uh um visually impaired in some way or um uh or whatever it was going to be made more accessible and so that story the very first one on earthy child will not be accessible in the same way that the other stories are which you know that's the shame but anyway um getting sorry about it's all i've got to say on it it's it's a bonkers thing and i never thought it would happen but yeah i mean my feelings to it are reasonably mild Mm. because i didn't know until recently that this was even happening yeah um and you know i've got the dvd Mm -hmm. It's not a story I, I would regularly re- revisit on streaming. Um, mm-hmm. So it doesn't impact my life. No, no. But... Um, I mean, the way that I uh, look at it, Rob... It's sorry, frustrating sorry to in is, a way, yeah. Uh, it's a shame, but at the end of the day, it's a TV program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a show. Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing with our lives? This isn't real. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on to reviewing Doctor Who. Because, you know, that's important. So, uh, uh, Harry, uh, another dedicated listener and who is also one half of the Who Can Convince You podcast. Check that out, people. Yes, I was listening to one of their Patreon episodes today. Fantastic. Uh, He says, love this one. One of my favourites. Nine out of ten. Definitely in the good. Uh, William B. Morton has also got in contact with us and says, love this adventure with unit. Freak weather conditions. Yeah, that's true. It's lots of uh, the weather's all what over. What was going on? W- did they just write the snow into the script because it it got a bit snowy? <laughs> they were like, "Oh, the the this the Axon ships crashed, which has caused freak snow." Yeah, and then we just had a tramp cycling around in some snow, and then the snow was gone. Yeah. So yeah, he's definitely right. Freak weather conditions, spaghetti aliens bureaucracy at its worst and the return of a certain villain you see the entire oh yes i forgot this point you see the interior of the tardis i think that's the first time that you see it in the john pertwee era oh uh with um old roundels yeah which the when, when will the, when would the roundels get changed into kitchen sinks uh oh uh, i think it's the end of this season uh it's in the oh. story the time monster oh. oh okay uh and plenty of action uh yes. yes definitely a lot of action a lot of action yeah uh i think that is all our comments on twitter thanks everyone appreciate we got, that we got any comments on the, the polling station yes we have uh we definitely had one before i'm just going to refresh the page so um on closerbellpodcast.com which is our website we put up polls uh, for the stories so you can vote on those and you can also provide the comments for for each of the stories and uh, we have one comment from anonymous rob mm-hmm. uh, who says you know your husband is a hoarder when he shows you the woolworth's receipt he's kept in the dvd case for this episode hmm i've got a feeling this might be about me <laughs> so do i do you want to tell well, it's basically explained it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got, I got my DVD out, opened it up, and it's the first edition DVD from 2005, and it had the Woolworths receipt in. Yeah. Remember, remember that? Yeah. So we know um, that you we you bought this DVD on the 15th of May, 2005. Mm, for 16 99 Yeah, I was just like, 
That's expensive. Was it expensive? How could I afford that back then? Well, actually, I was probably better off back then because <laughs> I was living at home with no expenses. I was just... Buying Doctor Who DVDs shopping, with or, or, Yeah, and just eating beans on toast. <laughs> and I w- I'd spend... Well, looking back then, I was when I was like... Especially when I started working in my 16s, I must have been earning about £300 a month. Hmm. But to me, that was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And every ounce of that would get spent on DVDs at the start of the month. <laughs> um, and then I'd be complaining that I'm so poor for the for the rest of the month. Um, I, I wish I could spend £300 on DVDs now. Wow. That's the dream. Yeah. It's like... It's like I'm better off now, but I'm not. There's no. It's like the money's there, but it doesn't exist. <laughs> I can't touch it. Yeah, there's. Yeah, when I look back, because when I was in sixth form for lunch, not every day, but pretty, but you know, quite often, me and a group of mates, we would go to, we would go and have a pub lunch. <laughs> I remember going oh. to sociology quite drunk on one occasion. <laughs> I had five whiskeys and a rum. <laughs> staggering the sociology cheese um and it was just like where did i have the money and how could i how could i afford that to do that a few times a week i am nuts then were the days yeah yeah anyway um in terms of ranking the story so uh we have a ranking system of good average and bad so uh we have 16.67 percent of people thought it was bad the same percentage thought it was average but at, um, I'm rounding up uh, slightly, but at 67% say it's a good story. I think uh, we probably know where our rating is going to go, but Rob, how would you rate the story? Um, it was very good. Mm. Um, I wouldn't, if it was out of 10, I'd probably just rate it a 10, because I like it. To be honest, I totally agree. Um very good for me i really like it i think it's um it's one of my favorites it's one of those where i think over the years i've maybe taken it for granted but it was really nice it's been a little while since i've watched it and for the purpose of the podcast watching it with a bit more of an analytical eye if you like it was just like i've always liked this story but i never realized how good it was and my god this is really really good Um, and what little like substance it had to analyze it was like good stuff yeah, it's just a. I just think it's a really good story, uh, scripted incredibly well and told incredibly well. Um, mm. Yeah, I just really like it. I think it's a cracking good story. Mm. And given that I haven't watched it in eighteen years, probably, <laughs> um, I remembered it really well. Yeah, yeah. Just and I can't say that about a lot of stories. Yeah, it's it's got to be said some are forgettable, but. Uh, yes, everyone. So thank you very much for listening. That's our thoughts on the claws of Axos. So, Rob, what uh, will our next story be? Oh, um, uh, yeah. Oh, that that's it. Yeah. So next week, we're going to go into the modern era and look at Asylum of the Daleks. Oh, interesting choice. Uh, Yep, thanks for that, Rob. Look forward to uh, discussing that. So tune in next week, uh, folks, where we'll be discussing the Matt Smith story, Asylum of the Daleks. Or Or. tune in right now on Patreon. Ah, yes. A week early. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and as this episode goes out publicly, um, the anniversary is just two and a half weeks away. Mm-hmm. We're getting uh, so it's, it's looming. Yeah, we get at the time of recording. I think we've got a little bit of of an idea of of what's going on. I think we know that the specials are not going to be broadcast on the twenty third of November. It, okay. Um, but apparently something special is meant to take place on that day. Don't know what it is. I think we've got a couple of documentaries coming up. I think uh, there's going to be a BBC radio documentary. Um, I found out today, Rob, that it looks like that we will be having a Doctor Who documentary focusing on the classic era presented by David Tennant. Okay. Uh, Choice. Yeah. So she's okay. like, oh, I, yeah. I look forward to watching um, it. And uh, Russell has um, kind of said... He put something together which would kind of be classed as a fourth special, hmm. but he, he done rustled, rustled I rustled something up really quick. <laughs> um, so there's something else out there. I don't know if that's a, um, a story or, or or something otherwise. I don't yeah, know. but uh, yeah, we're we're really gearing up to the sixtieth and uh, really yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah, and we'll we'll try our best to cover it um, at our own pace. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we'll be reviewing the 60th anniversary during the 61st anniversary. Something to look forward to next year. Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, thanks everyone. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, as, as Rob said, uh, our next one will be Asylum of the Daleks. Until then, bye everyone. Bye-bye. Well, it's perfectly simple, Brigadier. <clears throat> a time loop is it's... Um, well, it's a time loop. One, one passes continually through the same points in time. Passes through the same... Yes. Well, the Axon said they wanted time travel, and now they've got it. What about the Master? Well, I sincerely hope he's with them. Hope? Well, I can't be absolutely sure. I was pretty busy at the time. But I'm 90% certain, though. How much? Well, pretty certain. Well, I suppose he could have got away. Just this time loop thing. How did you get out of it? Oh, I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. And you came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. No, obviously the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo.